0: 14th best album of the year you're with Julian on the brown note first show of 2014 and uh, my number 10 film of the year counting down 10 films and 15 albums interspersed throughout the show and also in the middle my biggest disappointments in uh, what I thought was a pretty poor year for music and it's the first of two entries very very unsurprisingly by who's probably the preeminent director in america now who's quietly risen to that position that's david o russell who arrived with a very strong and well-remembered film about the first iraq war just as the second one was kicking off called three kings and since then amassed a very strong body of work and he came out with one of the uh, big oscar contenders in silver linings playbook Um, and it was an incredibly enjoyable experience the character's and characterizations saw the main four actors all get nominated for oscars deservedly so jennifer lawrence would walk off with hers but everyone in it was fantastic and it had its own internal logic and it was uh, really sprightly and well written and the characters were much more real feeling and edgy and everyone seemed to have their own screw-ups and hang-ups in it and it was a tremendously enjoyable film an unexpected virtual rom-com um and it ended up uh, making his name and and he's done even more with his second film which is uh going to come up later as it's actually a film that's topped a lot of end of year lists but silver linings playbook very early in the year great film and a clip and it's going now one of the probably the most uh exciting and competent regular casts. he's used them in two movies now now silver linings playbook my number 10 best film of the year and um, there's sort of split in two camps between the ones that were released for the Oscars last year and the ones that were released for the impending Oscars in uh, February, I think. Um, and I saw very few foreign films this year, and all of the ones I did, I was catching up on older years. So unfortunately, those didn't get as much of a look in. Now, my number thir- Goodbye. And my number nine film of the year... Uh, another early release, and I'm guessing for um, another Oscar contender for performances, and that was the film of the Asian tsunami called The Impossible, um, which is a very interesting story as it was written by um, a Spanish lady that was actually involved in the tsunami and recounted it verbatim. Uh, and they she actually chose the actress to play it. It was uh, they translated it into English um, because they thought it would have a wider audience and she chose Naomi, Naomi Watts who uh, was uh, amazing in the film it follows uh, basically a, a family on holiday and the tsunami hits and the uh, devastation in the aftermath and it was an incredibly powerful film and um, it wasn't perfect but I didn't find much wrong with it either and it's it had some really kick-in-the-gut moments and sequences um it was one of those films you're a little bit tired after watching because it's sat emotionally draining. Um it was a great film and Ewan McGregor was good in it. Naomi Watts was excellent in it. Um everyone was uh, very sort of credible as well and it was a, it was fascinating just to see the ground after and the way that uh, a society reacts to like what is pretty close to Armageddon. Um and uh a lot of the people, they got criticised for Hollywoodizing it in the Guardian newspaper in the UK. And another person that was actually on the ground, a UK tourist that was involved as well, said absolutely spot on. There was nothing Hollywoodized about it. So that's my number nine film of 2013. And my, now a film that really impressed me at the start of the year, and I thought would probably be my number one film of the year. I've watched it since and I still think it's a brilliant film. I think it is flawed. Um, it's got one of the biggest narrative scopes and most ambitious narratives of the year, and that was the uh, follow-up to the wonderful Blue Valentine by Derek Shean France, um, which starred Ryan Gosling, and he appears in A Place Beyond the Pines. Uh, Michelle Williams, I thought, who's co-starring that film, hasn't really been in much this year, and I've said that she's my probably my favourite actress. Um, and I've not really seen much of her or Ryan Gosling this year, even though Ryan was in two movies this year, uh, the other one being Only God Forgives, which I was also in two minds about including in my list. I watched it again and I thought, it just doesn't have enough substance to the story, but I still think it is a very good film. Um, the Place Beyond the Pines started with Ryan Gosling as a in, a, in an amazing opening shot as a circus motorcycle rider that travelled from place to place doing dangerous stunts and uh, sleeping with beautiful women, as as they all want to do. In this case, Eva Mendes, who turns up with a child the next time he's in town, who he has suddenly found out he's a father uh, in this moment. distinct stages, uh, and you can't really talk that much about it uh, without giving those stages away. And it's really a film about how uh, a father impacts their child in the future. And how these things that happen in in past times end up reverberating down the ages. Not unlike my film of the year in different ways. Um, It's got a massive cast of well-knowns. Apart from Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper, another It Boy. And Eva Mendes, Ray Liotta, Ben Mendelsohn, Rose Byrne. It's really quite an impressive cast. It's a very, very uh, demanding film time-wise. As it goes on through this very, very long narrative arc. Um, and it could be argued the third sequence which is really the heart and soul of the film is probably the least well realized although it has certainly got its strong moments i think that's because viewer fatigue is sitting in by that point and the first two sequences um the first two uh, well sections of the movie sort of run together very very well whereas the third is necessarily a bit jarring when compared um it could have if it was perfect it would have definitely been probably been my movie of the year or my second best movie of the year anyway but as it stands beyond the part Pi- the place beyond the pines directed by derek kian france and with a great uh, soundtrack by mike patton formerly of faith no more as well and it did reasonable business for such an arty and difficult film at the box office uh, that's my eighth film Of 2013, you're with Julian on the Brown. And number seven, thank God, a film that wasn't solely released around the Oscar contention period. And one of my biggest shocks of the year, it came out in October in Australia. And I never, for both the subject matter and the director, gave it a hope in hell, even though I was really into Formula One racing. It was a film about uh, the rivalry between Nicky Lauder and James Hunt over one season of Formula One motor racing. Sounds, even for somebody that's into that kind of thing, really dull or at least limited in its scope. And also the fact that it was directed by one of my worst directors, Ron Howard, who I think takes everything that's bad about Spielberg and only makes up. I saw A Beautiful Mind again recently, another film of his, like Apollo 13, that I convinced myself was good when I first saw it and now watch cringing. In fact, I did turn it off because I was cringing that much. Um, He's very saccharine, very sentimental, and suddenly he appears with this, which is like nothing he's directed. He definitely has opened a new chapter, I hope. Um, it's a fresher, more dynamic film than he's ever been a part of. There's nothing cloying or sentimental about it. And there's only a few sentences here and there that are even um, Hollywoodized. It concerns um, a very dapper, very good-looking British roasting driver called James Hunt, And he's played by Chris Hemsworth, who's proven that he can inject into these good-looking Hunk roles way more personality than someone like, say, Sam Worthington can, uh, as he's been exceptionally good as Thor, um, making him a much more human, funny, and likable character. And James Hunt was incredibly well-loved. He was a total playboy. He was frequently drunk and stoned when he was racing, as he uh, admitted later. Um, And he died very young. He died 45 years old. Um, by which time he'd become a very celebrated British TV personality. Um, he had a rakish charm. He was like every every embodiment of uh, of uh, a charming upper-class cad. Um, and people loved him for it. And Nicky Glauda was this cold, calculating machine Terminator. Um, and they had this incredible season. And it's uh, one of the most exciting seasons of any sport I could think of, Given the way it panned out and the dramas that happened, but also the personalities involved, Nicky Lauder said, um, even though they were such incredible rivals back then, that uh, James Hunt was one of the only people he respected in the sport. James Hunt represented the I'm a natural talent and Nicky Lauder represented I'm a scientist um but they had this incredible nikki louder had won the season before um it's incredibly well shot the racing is fantastic it's not that over cgi racing it's got this real authentic high speed feel of it um and even though chris hemsworth is great in it the film belongs to daniel Brule, um who should get an oscar nod as absolutely superb as nikki louder is this incredibly difficult guy i could best describe him as mark zuckerberg from the uh, facebook movie um The supporting cast are fine but it's really a movie that is solely concerned with those and I kind of wonder how lead actors get chosen to be the lead actor these days because as with um, Django Unchained, a film that didn't make my list, um, the supporting actor seems to be the lead actor to me and Daniel Buell seems to have much more of the narrative and he also has the biggest events happen to him and the most famous of those was um, the terrible car accident he has in the middle of the, one of the races towards the close of the season, which caused terrible burns and almost took his life, um, which is, he still wears the scars of with uh, very, very damaged uh, features. Um, but an incredible movie. Hats off to the, uh, Ron Howard for directing in a way that I didn't think he was capable of, and it's a great film. That's my number seven movie of the year, which is Ron Howard's film, Rush. And my for an eye uh, from Shaking Habitual, my number 10 album of the year. My number six movie of the year is one that's topped an awful lot of people's lists. It's Alfonso Cuaron and the movie Gravity. And it's got such high acclaim because it changes the paradigm of cinema. It offers something that hasn't been offered before, something that would have sounded impossible, um, and does it, which is um, Sandra Bullock getting into strife when she's spacewalking and the subsequent real-time adventure that unfolds. Um, And it's an incredible film. It does deserve to be called a masterpiece. It is, however, with flaws. And flaws have nothing to do with the movie or Sandra Bullock's Oscar-worthy performance, which is fantastic. George Clooney's actually pretty bad in it for the first time in ages, and I've got a feeling that's because the part was for Robert Downey Jr. And he just doesn't shut up. Um, Thankfully, he isn't in the movie that long um but sondra bullock's superb in it the only areas it can, it falls down on and obviously visually it's it's, it's spellbinding it's genuinely spellbinding to look at uh, and the whole notion of space and and for a movie to have the cast weightless for virtually the entire duration is just an incredible thing as well as the uh the notions of looking back at the earth and everything that entails and what they've left behind but as Uh, the script itself is prone to the odd occasions of being cloying or sentimental or over-egging it and it did make me sit back and go oh why have you just ruined that sequence or why have you just ruined it it's going along so perfectly and there's this Ron Howard-esque moment and it happens a few times including the astonishing final sequence as well where there's some dialogue in there that doesn't really belong in anything outside of a Ron Howard movie Um, and they're the only problems I have with it Sandra Bullock is magnificent the cinematography is I think a a shoe in pretty much, for the Oscar for Best Cinematography. Um, And the whole thing is just a a wonderful idea, beautifully executed. If I've got qualms about the odd tiny moment here and there, Alfonso Cuaron has done this before a little bit. I thought uh, Children of Men, his uh, previous film from some years ago now, probably 10 years ago now, was uh, just a masterpiece. But it was one of those films that unraveled the more I watched it. Um, and that's got a gain due to some bits being too cloying or sentimental or too noble or too, almost too you know too spielberg but um they're small picks really it's an incredible thing to have wanted to attempt in the first place and it as far as dramatic tension goes it was the most dramatic real film of the year as opposed to documentary more of which later so that's my number six film of the year and uh a fair chance of best picture oscar i'd say gravity and, and my number five film, I said that Russia was my big surprise movie of the year, but Zero Dark Thirty was actually the, the biggest shock of the year for me. Another one released at the start of the year in contention for the Oscars, which he didn't really pick up any. Um, and the surprise for me was um, The Hurt Locker was a film that I railed against on this show as being uh, the most overrated Best Picture Oscar winner I can remember, uh, certainly in the last ten years or so. Uh, and it was uh, to me she was she's always been an awful director she's always strung movies together from uh, a s- set pieces st- stuck together in a gung-ho style and i found the hurt a terrible at the same time ben affleck released uh, gone baby gone which was an astonishing film i think a masterpiece an incredible piece of work and in the years since then ben affleck's got more and more acclaim for worse and worse movies the town was half a film of gone baby gone And he ended up winning Best Picture Oscar for Argo. And I thought that was a pretty flat film. It was good-ish, but I wouldn't have said that it was anywhere near being a masterpiece. And then I saw Zero Dark Thirty by Catherine Bigelow, assuming it would be dreadful. And it's an incredible film. Finally, she shows that she can actually direct a screenplay rather than a series of set pieces. And there aren't really that many set pieces in this film. Just the long track for Osama Bin Laden and Jessica Chastain, who I did say wasn 't Oscar worthy in her performance is i 've seen it a couple of times since, and she is very very strong in the movie. She does a strike the perfect balance as the CIA operative that uh, hunts down Osama over a period of years and it also shows the various machinations from torture to uh, paying off rich Q80s with Lamborghinis that um, actually led to his capture and it got a load of stick for justifying torture, which I never understood. Um, because they said that if the movie said that um, some of the torture gained insight into uh, where Osama bin Laden was or led to leads, which it kind of didn't as well, um, that that in some way justifies torture. It doesn't justify torture if it leads to results. That's not the point at all. It's still completely wrong to do it, and it was a hard, upsetting film to watch through those sequences, but it was still a fascinating journey, and uh, an incredible piece of work by Kathleen Bigelow is the a film that was twice the hurt locker and probably more than that um had a supporting cast ranging across the whole uh time period and probably uh jason clark was the most instrumental there as he was the guy that was uh, with her at the start and responsible for a lot of the torture until it affected him uh, to the point of going out the end attack on uh osama bin Laden's complex is one of the few set pieces in the film and very very well handled but it's really just a narrative flow it's a fascinating story so my fifth best film of the year is Zero Dark Thirty another one from the start of the year and I go through uh, some of my most disappointing films of the year I didn't see that many awful films and I didn't see that many great films either but the ones that I remember really being quite disappointed with and they're not by all means all bad films but uh, The Great Gatsby which is one of the year's most interesting movies regardless, but I held, I'm not going to say it was a disappointment to me because I expected it to be good. I didn't. I expected it to be bad because I think Baz Luhrmann is a pretty poor film director and it sort of, um, the first hour of the movie really convinced me that it was going to be the worst film of the year. But the reason I'm chasing it my most disappointing is firstly the performance by Leonardo DiCaprio was absolutely perfect uh, and I, I was a bit sad that the movie wasn't as good as he was and it would have been a performance for the ages if it had been a great film and the second thing was the second half of the movie or at least the final hour was actually really really good it was almost like a different movie took over from the incredibly stupid dumb direction that lasted for the opening hour of the movie and was cringibly bad awful i thought that was the worst hour of film i saw this year But the last bit, given how good that was, I just don't know why someone wasn't there to either take it over or sit down with him and say, look at the disparity between these two halves of your movie, because it was really good for the second half. Another one was Star Trek Into the Darkness, uh, which got rave reviews, but I was solely disappointed with I thought the first Star Trek reboot was fantastic, and this one sort of rubbed off all the things that were great about it, The story was very unimaginative, and given they had a wonderful villain in Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, Khan, I really felt that they didn't utilise any story at all. It sort of it descended into a lot of rolling around on the roofs of things, and it was sillier as well than the original. It had a little bit more of the uh, Spock romance, and there'd be in these world-saving situations and having bickering between the couples, and I just thought it was a silly film. Uh, it certainly wasn't a bad film it was pretty good but I watched it again recently and I did kind of just switch off in the last half hour because it was just as I said rolling around on roofs and it didn't really mean anything another one was Wolverine curiously I think it's a pretty good film the thing that I was disappointed about is there's a whole mythology that goes along with these films and this seems solely to be about one family uh, in Japan and their industrial tribulations, almost like a, a version of Inception, where there uh, there's a, an old dying man and his uh, siblings in this sort of like fighting it out for his domain. And the story in it was actually really good, and I watched it again, it was better the first, second time around. But the thing that disappointed me was it had no correlation to anything that had happened with any of the X-Men movies. It was sort of like it was this... It could it didn't need to be Wolverine involved. It could have been anybody uh, another one was Iron Man 3 in the same boat. I thought the first Iron Man was brilliant. second one I thought was dreadful. And the third one again came out to great acclaim, but I thought it was a total mess. I thought the stick had got old, and the um, there were some elements in it, like his relationship with a young kid that just had no place being there, and they didn't serve any. The kid just disappears. He just doesn't... He, like, was one scene, he's an important character, and then he's not even focused on. Um, and I thought Gwyneth Paltrow was treated quite violently in it because um, her sweetness and uh, the charm of their relationship was one of the central things to what made the franchise enjoyable in the first place and the way she was treated in this was fairly barbaric i thought so that was a disappointment for me i give it a year is in here because it sounded like it'd be a good british comedy and it was terrible it was the lamest comedy i saw all year uh it was just about nothing it was just about couples coming together they couldn't have Put a more identical script together. Uh, Simon Baker was like, "You're the good America you're the good-looking American." That was it. There was like nothing else to his character. Rose Byrne was in it, who I do like a lot. Very, very bland, very boring. All the characters were uninteresting and not that likable either. Uh, it was it was like below, way, way below something like Notting Hill. Terrible film. Uh, possibly my biggest disappointment of the year is the film Mud, which is even appeared at the top of some people's end of year lists Uh, I think it's Mike Nichols the director and I've gone on at length about how his first film Shotgun Stories was a brilliant masterpiece for me it was a whole new language low-budget indie film but an incredible piece of work and this was like Hollywood had come and remade it for him he made it but there was no story everything was a cliche uh, other than Matthew McConaughey's solid performance in a very cliched role there was really nothing apart from scenery to recommend this movie and how it has got such universal acclaim i couldn't tell you as it's very cliched very run-of-the-mill uh lots of ludicrous plot points that have been from every other film of its ilk just not good film and probably uh, my biggest disappointment i sort of have a love-hate relationship with seth rogan and his acting style uh, and his movies and generally i fall to the side of saying they're very very funny so when the whole gang got together and did this is the end i thought it was gonna at least be funny i found it vile i thought it was just self-aggrandizing backslapping the whole way through and if that wasn't bad enough it just injected this completely pointless supernatural element for, for the use of um, big shocks and set pieces and monsters that had no bearing in it at all it was just gibberish it was almost like we've got so much money we don't know what to do with it let's make a film anyway here's a clip and one of with Julian on the brown note uh, is American Hustle a second entry by David O. Russell and released just in time uh, in December over here and a, possibly a better film than Silver Linings Playbook in almost every way he's got virtually the same cast again and they're again exceptional in it uh, he's got Bradley Cooper turning up again Jennifer Lawrence could be a shoe-in for uh, Best Supporting Actress Oscar which would be amazing to win two years in a trot for the same director Um, and he's going to be highly sought after after this as well it focused on um, the sting in the late 70s the FBI ran with uh, the help of some conmen they've ensnared and the whole thing sounded like entrapment to me anyway and it was a very convoluted story my one problem with the movie is um, as it gets towards the end it's got too much plot going on but I kind of didn't even focus on the story it was the interplay between the main characters and the standout for me was Christian Bale, who's unrecognisable and plays the main con man as this balding, fat guy. He's incredible in it. And his partner, Amy Adams, who's his uh, constress, uh, who's excellent, shows a great deal of range, considering she was in the Muppet movie and plays a very sexy vixen in this one. And she also leads on the uh, head FBI guy, which is Bradley Cooper, making another return for O. Russell as well. And there's Jeremy Renner's excellent as a an entrapped congressman in it it's just a brilliant all-round movie if it's got too much plot everything that happens during the course of the plot the acting and the interplay between the characters as amy adams plays off bradley cooper and christian bale against each other and uh, and leads them both to believe that she's on their side and it's all self-evident what's going on but it's still very very convincing Um, it's very fast and dazzling and it's funny and the script's great and the performances are excellent and it's hugely enjoyable in a way, something like *Goodfellas*. This feels like a real pop culture movie, which is uh, done at great pace and, and with great verve and style. So it's my fourth film of the year and a front runner for Best Picture Oscar as well. *American Hustle*. My number six album of the year. Uh, you with Julian on the brown note, and my second favorite film of 2013 was is probably the purest film in the list as far as filmmaking goes. It's a Danish movie directed by Thomas Winterberg and starring almost uh, this year's Viggo Mortensen, which is uh, Mads Mikkelsen, a wonderful actor. Um, and he's just got that same sort of uh, presence and it's, it's very calm yet very intense at the same time that Mortensen's got. And it was the story of a recently separated school teacher returning to his small town in Denmark and taking up a role in a school... Uh, So he can be sort of geographically close to his uh, 15-year-old son and sort of involved in their lives. Um, And he forms a relationship at school with his pupils that's very, very strong and very natural. And his best friend's daughter is one of the very young children he teaches, sort of like between 5- and 7-year-old children. And she's a lost soul, and she actually takes his kindness the wrong way uh, and basically tries to kiss him and then she's basically uh, gets very embarrassed and upset about what's happened and is press ganged by adults into saying that he sexually assaulted her. And the case really does parallel what happened to a, a New Zealand guy, which um, basically these kids in school were all convinced that They all told the adults that all these things had been going on. There were sex dungeons, even though the guy only had like this one-room house. Apparently he had this dungeon underneath it and everything. And this guy was pilloried and spent years in prison. And virtually everyone that accused him, now they've got to um, adult ages, has said that nothing ever happened. And uh, Viggo Mortensen is then subject to a, a Salem witch hunt as all these close friends from childhood who are now adults with their own families gradually turn on him, and it's an infuriating film to watch. Even though it's very calm and it's got that Danish coolness to it, it does really wind you up the way that he is treated throughout this movie, which is awful by everyone. Virtually no one will stand by him, and it's a a beautiful examination of the whole notion of uh, there's no smoke without fire, because of course there is. There is sometimes absolutely nothing going on despite the accusation and it it shows how an accusation of child abuse on its own, whether it's disproved or not, can be enough to permanently taint someone with. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen deservedly picked up Best Actor at the Cannes Film Festival earlier in the year. And it's done very well internationally for a foreign language film. Uh, It's a great piece of movie making on er any level. It's subtle and it's powerful and it's clever. And it's very, very realistic feeling uh, for this small village as well. So my second favourite film of the year is The Hunt, starring Mads Mikkelsen and directed by Thomas Vint. And I'll just go through my top ten movies. Number 10, Silver Linings Playbook. Nine, The Impossible. Eight, The Place Beyond the Pines. Seven, the Grand Prix film Rush. Space movie Gravity at six. Zero Dark Thirty on The Hunt for O'Sama Bin Laden at five. Second entry for David O. Russell with American Hustle at four. The Impostor at three, a doco. And the Danish film The Hunt that we just heard at number two. And my number one uh, film of the year is uh, one that no one else has picked and also that virtually everyone that's seen doesn't like um i thought it was a masterpiece i thought it was a deeply flawed film um, a very flawed film in a lot of ways but then it also reached higher than anything i've seen in a long time probably higher than anything i saw since something like the tree of life or melancholia it's just it, it changed for me the landscape of cinema uh, and it's cloud atlas uh, which is directed by the wachowski well, siblings. as uh, one of them is now a lady, uh, Lana Wachowski, who also turned up in the number 15 album of the year on the uh, burials uh, as uh, her speech was used at the United Nations. Um, so Lana Wachowski, Tom Twyker and Andy Wachowski, uh, it was a, a conversion of a book just as ambitious as Life of Pi was, which was set in a number of time periods, I think six different time periods going back to slavery times, and uh, the things that it did that really blew me away one was using the same cast in every sequence which really affected the notions of uh, history repeating itself of people changing because you could see the actors were the same actors but there were different roles and different characterizations and they got paid out on for some of the makeup not being as good as sometimes the excellent makeup in other sequences um, but really I, the thing for me was the way it was edited together Um, which was a very strong story, which is a notion of how actions that are brave and that fight tyranny can roll down the years and affect things that happen much later, uh, and the way that people can be inspired centuries later by some small act that someone's done. And that was the overriding theme of the film. And instead of giving you like half an hour of one era, half an hour of another, towards the end of the film, all of these six sequences were rolling together as one sequence, and often they would flit effortlessly between them. In the course of a second or so, you'd be in three different time periods of the movie. A slight downer for me was, I thought the Tom twyker directed sequences, which were uh, the slavery era and the early part of the uh, 20th century and then the uh, 1970s, were the three strongest, and the futuristic periods were the, three, were the two weakest, and they were the Wachowskis, um and then there's this hilarious jim broadbent sequence and i thought he was the actor of the film it also starred uh, tom hanks hayley berry uh, and a number of other jim Sturgis, hugo weaving quite a big cast including some uh, heavyweight korean actresses that appeared uh, throughout the film as well and it goes all the way to the future where one of them's an actual uh, the korean actress i can't remember which one of the two it is is um a self made a robot basically but she's a human that's created in the lab just to work in the fast food industry and ends up being a focal point for revolution in the future based on things that happened years and years earlier um and it's i just found it to be something that i will watch again and again despite its ludicrous runtime and the vastness of scope i just thought it was a masterpiece and i think it's a film that will grow in stature as the years progress um, the acting went from brilliant to hammy uh, And some of the sequences worked out better than others I thought Tom Hanks's last bit in the future Was probably the weakest And the um, Cloud Atlas was the song Or the... Uh, Concert, uh, concert written by one of the characters in an earlier sequence that goes on to inspire someone that finds it in the record store and the music itself which was two hours of original classical music deserved its own place so a clip by way of the score from cloud atlas my number one movie of the year and i am a sucker for these it's almost terence malick like vast movies of great ambition that maybe are a little too long i didn't think this was too long i thought it held it together very very well it was never boring and it added something to the language of cinema to me so that's my number one film of 2013 which is this cloud atlas